0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals, representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 22. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelanon Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See Всем привет. hey sana <laughs> how are you
1: <laughs> what what's so funny
2: i I don't know i just i'm, I'm in a good mood actually it's good all right good.
1: good always a good
0: mood to record a esp
2: it's best mood is the good mood
0: <laughs> yeah we should try it once um in the morning mm. <laughs> uh,
2: well i have to warn you guys i am not a well actually no i i kind of am a morning person after about five minutes yeah but and yeah,
0: and what's morning in... for you
2: uh, I'm no- normally awake by eight thirty on the weekends, which is ridiculous. Like, like who is awake at eight thirty on the weekend? I so.
1: am. Apparently, both of you. I'm. I'm usually awake about seven o'clock. Oh, uh, whatever. But, and that's uh, that's my time. That's just six o'clock. That's six o'clock for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. We're not doing that. Okay. It.
0: All right. Uh, definitely not. Okay. Now I'm looking out of the window, and a huge light source just appeared on the sky and then disappeared. Oh, my God. Are you
2: talking about the UFO?
0: I'm talking about something interesting here. Right. Ooh. I did see something like that yesterday as well. Uh-huh. So this might be a UFO center or something. Probably is. And,
2: Anders, please oh. be careful because you might be um, kidnapped by the um, abducted. aliens. Abducted,
0: then... yeah. Are you Pro- kidding me? I want Pro- to be abdu- abducted by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would did like you to- guys...
2: Did you guys know that the feeling of being abducted by aliens is has been explained by psychologists or, or somebody, mm. some scientists? It's like a brain playing tricks on you and uh oh, you yeah. about it. Yeah.
0: Mm. Oh yeah. It's
2: pretty interesting. Mm.
0: Yeah, there are there are g- great pieces of research um, yeah, into uh, fascinating. like it's like out of body experiences. Yeah, now that yeah, we're those, talking about yeah. now that we are on the ESP. Um, <laughs> It's it's absolutely relevant to talk about out of body experiences. um I remember was it at QED or was it at Tem London that I I heard um Susan Blackmore speak about how she got into psychology and how she got interested in uh, parapsychology, and that I don't know she was smoking weird things at college. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and yeah and, well i think 99 and she of had people an she, she
0: had smoke. an out-of-body experience yeah that was a qed i think yeah qed yeah yes yeah that was i i love that talk it was <laughs> that, that was absolutely brilliant and funny as well uh, as well as educational mm. so yeah um, for next time i might not be here i might be on a different planet or a different galaxy. Okay,
1: send us a good
0: report yeah. while while you're there. Yeah, I will.
2: Prodded and poked by aliens, uh yeah. not in a good way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, shut up. As
2: not-
1: <laughs> long as you bring your microphone and send a good report back, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: And my microphone yeah. is going to be found in oh, God knows where. <laughs> 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 Jesus. Um. But um have you seen all of the Star Trek movies? Yes, the the movies I have seen,
1: yes. Yeah not all of the not all of them my
0: alerts. favorite movie is first contact mm-hmm. yeah i like that too i i got elevated mm-hmm. just uh, the the feeling it gives you to the the thought the very thought of of being contacted by aliens it's oh, it gives mm-hmm. me the goosebumps and and not in a bad way so it's yeah I want to be contacted by aliens and abducted, even. Okay. Come on, people!
1: Yeah, we'll let them know.
0: Of oh, whatever you are, whatever you
1: are. <laughs> yeah, we have a weak victim for you here. And, you let uh, them know? Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: Let's talk about um, some communication we received from one of our listeners. Oh, let's do that. Yeah. Yep. Um, Veronica messaged us on Facebook recently, um, and we didn't have chance to uh, talk about it in, in any great detail. Um, so, so she lives in the UK, and there was an event that was taking place near where she lives um, called Arnica Conference 2016. So that event happened on the second. Is of that May. what I think it is? Oh yeah, it's everything you think it is and more. Um, apparently, it's, it, this event was sold out. I mean, I can't even. Um,
0: arnica conference is that a conference for arnicas, or is it a conference <laughs> no, on a, arnica?
2: It's it's a conference on arnica and how oh, it can okay. treat cancer, which is mm,
0: the most which it can't,
2: dangerous yeah. type. The, yeah. So, and she got in touch with us to say whether see if we've got any like advice on what to do, and I um, kind of at the time suggested to either uh go to the conference or uh maybe stand outside and talk to the people who attend and you know uh but um after trying to get in she couldn't because obviously it was sold out um so uh she then went ahead and uh wrote a letter to a local newspaper which was a great move i think uh very proactive um Saying um, that there was alerting the, the newspaper that there was this event that took place um, that isn't scientifically none of the methods are scientifically proven. Um, it, it's outright dangerous for people to try any of this stuff, and it's just uh, basically a lot of quacks getting together and, and discussing these things. And um, they um, have the what, what they called arnica parent support group, which promotes ideas. Um, that could really damage the health of children and adults. Um, and but basically it's um, anti-vaccination uh, group that, that they saying that non-vaccinated child is potentially healthier than the vaccinated child. Um, so yeah, just dangerous. One wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, dangerous yeah. all around. And then in that letter, she quoted some of the research, a really well-documented research about vaccination that's proved that vaccination works and how it affects the population and what happens when people stop vaccinating and of course with cancer even more so you know modern medicine doesn't claim to to have all the uh, answers and and cures but there is a research that's been done and um, we shouldn't you know just leave it all and say, okay, Arnica now cures it. Um, and it was great to receive this communication um, for a few reasons. So it's great to see that people out there are actually proactively, when they see events like this happening... Proactively trying to do something about it, rather than just saying, "Oh no, not another quack uh, gathering." Um, also, the uh, idea of uh, emailing the local newspaper is a great one, and it raises awareness. I'm not sure if the um, uh, this letter was ever published, uh, and maybe uh, Veronica can uh, get in touch with us and let us know if it has. Um, also, going to the event itself, if you can, before the, it sells out. Sells out. And challenging people in the audience or on stage with legit questions about the research that was done um, on a certain thing that they proclaimed to to cure cancer is a great idea as well. Because that will make everybody around uh, around you question and kind of maybe ring some bells, hopefully. Um, And the other thing... He's going to maybe not to the event itself, but kind of gather uh, before the event and talk to the people who are attending the event. Maybe hand some flyers for some useful information uh, could be also one of the ways to, 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 um, to control, tackle these, these things. And uh, there is a lot of things going on, not just um, events about the quackery and the various healing and uh, cancer treatments but uh, psychic um, events etc that you know we can use exactly same kind of principles for so yes thank you very much veronica for getting in touch and and bringing this to our attention Um, and please let us know if um, your letter has been acknowledged by the newspaper and published
0: veronica is actually from hungary She's a former member of the Hungarian Skeptic Society, and I'm um, very proud to say that um, I've known her for quite a while. She was one of the organizers of um, the European Skeptics Congress when it was hosted by the European, uh, the Hungarian Skeptic Society in Budapest. So well done! Absolutely looking looking forward to hear the news on that. And let me just say say hi to Veronika. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the news about All Trials launching the Spanish language website? Aha! Oh yeah, so that happened. Yeah, great. Yeah, excellent. So that that shows a real international outreach mm. because after English, um, Spanish is uh, probably the the most widely spoken language in the world. Uh, so it absolutely makes sense uh, for an international campaign to to do it in Spanish, mm. of course. The petition itself has been translated into many, many languages and we, we've we've discussed that with uh, Chris Peters when he was on the show for the interview. Yeah, and he said it's, it's coming out in a couple of days and what he said would happen actually did happen. So well done, Great. congratulations, and uh, hope that will give a boost to all trials. Mm-hmm. Now that we talked about things that are being done, um, one of the best things to do is to organize events to to educate the public, to give an opportunity for skeptics to get together and um, enjoy a beer while uh, being educated. So, yeah, let's see what's going on on that front across Europe in the coming week.
2: 12th of May. Uh, there will be a skeptics in the pub in Portsmouth, and the theme for the uh, skeptics in the pub will be to vax or not to vax, an amble through vaccination and those who dangerously preach against it. Um, and the speaker will be Michael Head. Well, that's uh, you know that's a topic that will never be too old uh, or too tired to be talked about. So.
1: Oh yeah. So guess what date it is on Friday. It is Sir
2: so Friday the thirteenth, my yes. favorite day.
1: Friday the thirteenth. And one one of uh, the groups who are doing something about that is our friends in Göteborg, in Gothenburg, the ones who are constantly doing the full moon pubs and stuff. Oh yeah. They of course are doing a Friday the thirteenth event. So they'll be meeting in the streets, having people walk under ladders and uh, hand out pamphlets and, and discuss superstitions and things like that. So it'll Sounds like a good time in in Göteborg on Friday.
0: Do you think they're going to install black cats as well on different corners of the streets? I certainly
1: hope so. I certainly hope so. black
0: cats just roaming the streets. That sounds nice. Yeah. Uh, But Saturday is not going to be without an event either. And that's going to be in Brussels, in Belgium. It's going to be a very serious topic. It's going to be about the drug market. The title of the of the, the talk uh, translated from French um, is The Illicit Drug Market. And the speaker is uh, Vivienne Henry, who's a representative of the Special Investigation Unit to the Federal Agency for Medicines and Health Products uh, in the country. And she's going to be um, elaborating on uh, how the drugs Make it to the market, and what regulations are there to control uh marketing these these products, and what the different uh difficulties are, and how drug companies are ready and are actually practicing um, different cheating methods so that that they can avoid the regulatory bodies and they can avoid uh, adhering to certain. Uh, rules so uh, sounds awesome it's in Brussels on Saturday the 14th of May Sunday is without at least to our knowledge um, skeptical event but Sunday the 15th and Monday the 16th those are very important days guys Go on. go on the days of the Pentecost oh
1: yeah you're right it used to be a, a public holiday in Sweden but I skipped that a couple of years ago yeah yeah yeah
0: oops so the Holy Spirit is celebrated uh, uh, well for for those into this thing um, well have a good one <laughs> uh, but for those with a bit more of a sceptical mind um you have uh, some choices on Monday, um, which is still uh, the days of Pentecost. Reading, for example, in the UK, has a Skeptics in the Pub. A good choice of date, by the way. And the title it really fits into the theme. With Create Your Own Cult, the Scientology Way, the, the speaker is Martin Poulter. And if the name sounds familiar, uh, it's because he's very well known among um, um, skeptics, I think. We met him um, once at QED, but I did meet meet him um, at Wikipedia Science Conference in London last September, where I recorded an interview with him which we played on one of our episodes, our former episodes. So if you missed that, I recommend you listen to that episode. So Martin Poulter, he, I don't know if he still is, but he used to be um, a Wikipedian in residence at the Bodleian Library in Oxford, which is the library of libraries in this country. And he's a funny guy, as well as a very well-educated, um, very knowledgeable person, so it must be good fun.
2: On the same day, the 16th of May, um, there will be an event in Glasgow um, that will be organized by Glasgow S- uh, Skeptics. It is a free talk uh, called Gravitational Waves, a Quadruple mm. Um The talk will be presented uh, by Angus Bell, who has been working on instrumentation for gravitational wave detection at the University of Glasgow for the past six years. And I'm actually really excited about gravitational waves. I know nothing about physics, but um, it's been publicized quite a lot and made available for people like myself who are not not scientists. And I even went to see a talk with Lawrence Krauss, who talked about gravitational waves, and it was just breathtaking and amazing and I felt small and insignificant in so many new ways and I think I I can't recommend it highly enough. If you've got an opportunity to go and see a talk about gravitational waves then you should.
1: On the following day on the 17th of May uh, we in Malmö in south of Sweden we will get a visit from Glenn Wright who is writing a book called Academia Obscura which is promises to be a real fun book. It's about uh, Funny, uh, funny studies and 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 fun uh, research, a bit related, I think, to the the Ig Nobel prizes, that that kind of thing. Cats writing uh, or being published as editors of of uh, of academic papers and stuff. So he will be visiting us here in Malmo on the seventeenth of May, and I'm looking forward to that very much.
0: Oh by the way fun and science. Uh have you seen that, that the latest episode of uh, last week tonight? I know it's um, an American show. Um but, which um, which one was it? The one with the science, the 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 science. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I've yes, actually yes. reposted it, it.
2: It's um it's it's brilliant. Um
0: yeah, we we shared it on the on the on the Facebook yeah, page. Yeah, and well. I've shared it on
2: my wall because I cannot agree more. There is so much uh, bullcrap out there, and I, I I especially like studies that say eating chocolate a day helps on so <laughs> drinking red wine is good for you, mm. and all this kind. Of, and you go, yeah. I mean, if only, yeah. and it's,
1: and it was actually what I talked about last week on the, on the Really Wrong segment, so about
0: chocolate being good for you. Yeah, yeah, I thought of you, yeah. But the other thing is that we see lots of skeptics struggling to get through with the, the idea of skepticism and the very fact that the scientific method is the best way to, to distinguish between quackery uh, and real medicine, for example, and bogus claims and real things. And then comes this guy and just does it. I, he has a, a, a great team working with him, researching stuff and, and writing up the, the show. But it's still brilliant because he has a huge audience. So this message about science and why science matters and why it shouldn't be misrepresented, it got more attention from the general public than most of the things that the skeptics movement does and this is why i encourage everyone to to share it like crazy among your friends just show it to them show them Uh, lots of people speak english at at this time and age Uh, so share it with them show it to them that it's very simple if you think about it so again thanks very much i still do encourage um, our listeners to contact us if uh, you have something that we missed or something that you don't want us to miss in the future. So let us know about your events and, um, and happenings.
2: Please follow us on Twitter at ESpodcast underscore EU or you can um, like us on Facebook. Also, you can email us info at theesp.eu. Or go on to our website, theesp.eu, and fill in the uh, form.
0: All right. um, I think this is time to move on to our interview with Sanal Edamaruku, who's been through a lot of trouble for standing up for his views. Every week... We interview someone who represents a sceptical organisation, group or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. This time, our guest is Indian author and rationalist Sanal Edamaruku, who's been taking an active part in the European and international rationalist movement for several years now. He's a political scientist and journalist by training, and he's the founder president and editor of rationalist international author of 25 books and many articles related to rationalism skepticism and the debunking of dubious claims he's a fellow of the committee for skeptical inquiry and other organizations also he was the chief organizer of the 2016 rationalist international conference in Tallinn, estonia since 2012 He's lived in Finland, where he moved in order to avoid potential death in his country over a blasphemy case for exposing a fake miracle in Mumbai. Sanal Edamaruku, welcome to the show. Hi, hello. Well, what is it like to live in Europe as a rationalist compared to India? That might be an obvious question, but uh, you kind of didn't really have a choice, so... How do you feel?
3: Well, uh, I have been uh, traveling to Europe many times, I mean, over the years. And maybe before moving to Finland, maybe I was uh, 50 times in Europe, I mean, on different lectures or other other travel plans or congresses. So I was pretty familiar with European life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have quite a lot of friends I mean, all around Europe. So I was. it was not so, so difficult or different for me uh, to get accustomed to the European life. But uh, two things which made a, f- a kind of fundamental difference when I moved to Finland, for example, India being a country with a large population with 1.4 million people, and I was living in the capital, New Delhi, with uh, a huge population where there are people all around. And when I come to Finland, with uh, almost uh, one-third of India's size, but only five million people, mm-hmm. that was a very big difference, you know, which I felt never earlier when I was traveling for a conference or for a short time. When I started living, I found there are not much people around. That was <laughs> the first feeling I had. And the second thing, What I found quite interesting was Finland, I mean, of course, uh, is a, I mean, especially Helsinki is uh, something like a group of thousand small islands with a lot of water all around. I was born and I was growing in southern part of India, Kerala, where a similar kind of uh, geographical structure is there, where a lot of water, it's known as the Venice of the East. And with water everywhere and lagoons everywhere. And it's almost the same here, but except the winter, which was really, really hard for me in the first years. (laughs) Because uh, I was growing first 22 years of my life in Kerala, southern India, uh, where uh, the days and nights were almost the same because it was very close to equator. Mm -hmm. And the day temperature never went down 22, and it never went up 35. And here it was minus twenty three or twenty six this way this year and it and the maximum would be twenty four degrees there's a big difference practically and to get accustomed to such a climatic structure was little difficult in the in in the beginning but of course uh, I decided to get adapted to the situation now i am quite i'm fine with it
0: and what about um the specific aspect of being a rationalist how is life in that regard how, how are you being treated in Finland and in Europe compared to India
3: uh, in India we have um, quite a lot of uh, I mean rational people and I've been heading an organization which has more than 100,000 members all around the country we have 200 local branches so I've been always connected with people who are skeptics who are rationalists who are in the moment. I never felt, uh, I mean, alienated or isolated with my views in India because rather I was in the center of activities with a lot of people all around me all the time. But the the fundamental difference in the whole social environment is very different. We have a lot of superstitions in India, uh, not just superstitions like, uh, I mean, a cat crossing your way or I mean, or a, I mean, mirror broken being taken as a as a dangerous thing, but serious superstitions where people are living in fear. Fifty percent of the Indian population believe in astrology very seriously. Very seriously, in the sense that uh, people who believe in astrology cannot marry a person if the astrologers don't sanction it. If the horoscopes don't match. Even if two people like each other, they would not marry if they believe in astrology because they are so afraid that that would be affecting their life. Or one would not start anything that is important if it's an inauspicious time. And every day there are two hours which are inauspicious. Which side of the house you have a window or which side you have a door, which side you have an opening that has enormous influence on your life, your future. I mean, even your, your your career, that's one major belief we have in India. So people I mean are completely connected with these kind of beliefs. Or the the magical powers are taken. I mean, clay, the claim magical powers are taken very seriously by people. There are a lot of people who I mean, what we call generally in, in, in as witchcraft, which is not called as witchcraft in India, which is known as tantra or tantric or or, or mantra, mantra means the magical word, or tantra means the magical ritual, which could influence the course of events and course of life of people. That's a belief that people have. And we have practitioners of this kind of rituals everywhere in India. And most of the people believe that they can just chant some magical words and they can simply kill you. So these kind of beliefs are everywhere, from top politicians to the common folk, they all are entangled in this kind of a belief structure. So we have to keep on a vigil about the whole structure and you know, keep on educating people to come out of fear. And the major campaign that we had was focusing to help people to come out of all these fears. That kind of an atmosphere we don't have in Europe. For example, in Scandinavia, uh, I mean, religion has almost totally disappeared. Whereas in India, religion is one of the major social factor that influences the day-to-day life. So religion is very much influencing the political structure in India, though it's a secular state. Here, though many countries have an official state religion, religion has no practical influence. Mm-hmm. So there is a big difference here. Also, majority of the people, whomsoever I meet, I don't see much people who are fanatics or, or quite intolerant like what i see in india so that's a big difference of course a, a very very positive difference which i would love to have in india sometime later at least
0: so you think that in terms of rationalism uh we are kind of ahead of uh, the country of india I mean, Europe in general.
3: Yeah, not the whole of Europe, I would say, but uh, at least some parts of Europe.
0: Yeah, you've you've traveled a lot around Europe. Do you see uh, much difference among the the different countries in Europe in that regard? Of,
3: of course, of course. If 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 you go to, for example, the Portugal, the kind of belief that common people have there, and what we have, for example, in Sweden or Norway or or Finland, it's much different. Mm-hmm. Or, or, for example, the soothsayers in Britain, in UK, for example, I mean, still quite some people go for those those kind of people. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have here also in Finland such people, but they are very, very uh, insignificant. So, I, I would say that uh, there are uh, the, the the kind of uh, blind belief in uh, all this bunkum uh, has diluted in many parts of Europe. Quite diluted in many parts of Europe, mm-hmm. I see of course I know the the real potential danger coming up with a lot of new things and I mean new age beliefs, but uh, as compared to uh, for example, India or South Asia or I mean the whole of uh, orient there's a big difference, quite a big difference
0: and is it mainly cultural with regard to to what its background is? do you see the potential for uh asia to to get there as well or uh, you kind of envision of a, a slightly different path to or or different future um for the rationalist movement in uh, in that area of the world
3: as you know europe has not changed in one day i mean over the years uh, i mean a lot of factors have influenced the change in europe the enlightenment movement mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 growth of literacy. I mean, the uh, adaptation of technology, science and technology in day to day life. There have been a lot of factors. I mean, starting from Renaissance to I mean, uh, there there have been a lot of factors all around Europe that has influenced the whole change, especially the Enlightenment movement. So India did not have the Enlightenment movement there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the but it was a long pain you know, painful long period that Europe has gone through with a lot of people suffering and sacrificing who stood for reason and common sense and science. Many people got killed. I mean, 200, 300 years back, anybody who would speak for reason and science would be tortured or killed. I mean, that kind of a situation we had in many parts of, uh, I mean, Europe. And with the long, long, painful, long struggle, we come out of it in Europe. But uh, what is... uh, the, the most fascinating thing when I think about the structures in Asia is the new communication technology, the, the modern uh, communication strategies that we have, or, or uh, I mean, the internet, for example, has reached in a very big way. And perhaps India need not go through this long, painful time like that Europe has gone through, I mean, to reach what we have. Now in Europe or or still ahead anywhere in the world, because internet can reach out people. Very f- internet and te- telephones and modern communication, uh, I mean, uh, methods can reach out people very fast now. So, for example, our communication strategy in India is so effective. Uh, we, for example, in India, we have uh, uh, almost everybody having. Uh, a mobile phone mm-hmm. and internet has reached almost everywhere in the whole country the, the, even in remote areas where there is no electricity I mean people have mobile phones and where they get all the global information right on their hands so this is a new new situation where you need not go through the whole long way of communication for hundreds of years but we can make a big leap and gem to overcome the gap that we had and India could catch up very fast. But um,
0: doesn't that mean, uh, and I speak a bit from experience, uh, coming from an Eastern European country uh, with about 40 years of uh, lagging behind the rest of Europe in the 1990s, uh, when we managed to move out of the Soviet era. But I, I would imagine that in an Asian country and especially in India, where there is a huge gap uh between the two different worlds the technical the highly technical world and the the more rural uh less technical kind of civilization there is no time for society to mature to to the state of understanding the situation understanding the technological based society uh, to an extent that they are not falling for the bogus claims that are also spreading on the internet, for example. So they don't develop a kind of um, um, an intellectual immune system.
3: India has uh, two different set of people altogether, or two different, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say that India lives in 21st century, a modern 21st century, in many parts of India, or with many people We have, uh, I mean, science and technology reaching out everywhere. We have very advanced Mm -hmm. satellite systems. You know, we are one of the most advanced satellite launching system, and we have satellites, uh, I mean, even for many, many other countries, we do, I mean, satellite launching, and uh, the telecommunication is very highly developed. Mm -hmm. That's one side. And uh, the education system is uh, quite science-based, and uh, we have a lot of... uh, I mean, very skilled people coming out from India. We have a b- very brilliant team of people coming out. I mean, the software engineers is coming from India, and they are going all around the world now and reaching out also. We have a very modern, forward-looking, scientific-minded, big section of people in India. We call it the modern 21st century people are very much active there. At The same time, a large section of the people remain in medieval times. Mm-hmm. They believe, you know, that's that's the whole irony of India. We have two Indias coexisting, where people believe in magic, where people believe that sacrifice of their own son would bring some treasures and kill their own son in a ritual, or people go into very strange, uh, I mean, magical rituals. I mean, a lot of very, very primitive-looking, uh, I mean, ideas exist in India, and a lot of people follow that thing. So I would always say that we have two Indias, coexisting, a 16th, 17th century medieval India and a modern 21st century India. And there's a conflict between these two Indias all the time. And which side wins decides what's the future of India. And we have been trying on the side of the modern India, the science-based India, I mean, to advance. And I mean, there are a lot of tools to reach out people. So the the whole effort in India, is so important now, because if we allow these forces of reaction, the forces of superstition, forces of uh, all these medieval thoughts overpowering India, that can be very detrimental because that's quite a large population.
0: Getting back to the, the, the differences, you yourself experienced quackery and determined it as quackery at quite an early stage of your life, didn't you?
3: Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, with with my personal background, I mean, that has an influence on what I've been doing later. Uh, my my parents both were, I mean, rationalists before my birth. They were classmates and they met each other. And very unconventional marriage in Indian standards because uh, they belong to two different religions. Even now, if people marry from two different religions, though it's legally protected and legally correct, but the communities don't accept such marriages in India.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: In many parts of Northern India, if you go to um, in the villages, even if people marry from two different Hindu castes, the community don't accept that thing. And, and there are honor killings happening. Every year we have something like 100 to 120 honor killings just because the parents do not like the children marrying out of the religion. But if you go to the urban cities, such marriages are possible. And in educated families, I mean, it's simply normal. Even our prime minister's family or, I mean, uh, or or very, I mean, famous politician's family or famous uh, uh, writer's family, we can see a lot of mixed marriages. But if you go to a village, even now, uh, I mean, they, they have to practically run away. And the parents would lure them back. And then the village community, you know, collectively decides it's like, that's what I said, it was like medieval times. They collectively sit together and decide that the girl's father should ax her to death and the boy's father has to hang him to death. And they do it. And in such a situation, I mean, imagine, I mean, uh, my parents, when they married from two different I mean, religions, both the families opposed uh, and they had to run away practically, I mean, from their native place. The family, my father's family has a lot of priests and one of my paternal uncle is a bishop. And uh, so they all wanted that my mother should convert to Christianity before they, I mean, delivering a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, So of course she refused because uh, she didn't want to accept that. So what, which means that when she had labor pain, they've thrown her out because they said, "Convert now or go out." And nowhere they would not. They can they can go to hospital at that time. So they had to leave the home in a midnight, uh, in Mm -hmm. a rain. I mean, just because my mother refused to convert and both of them have gone out of the house and they walked with the mother having liver pain and she, before reaching the, the nearby hospital or mother's home, wherever they wanted to go, but before reaching anywhere, somewhere in the darkness under a tree, she just delivered the child with my father assisting the birth and that's how I was born. Wow. So...
0: You could found uh, a whole religion on that. I mean, <laughs> your your <laughs> own religion that I was born under a tree.
3: <laughs> wow. Yeah, but my parents still, I mean, they took a very, very reasonable position. I mean, of course, my father was already a young journalist then. And uh, they have settled down very soon. And uh, he was the editor of a big newspaper. And uh, they decided that that uh, the children should have absolute freedom to opt whatever they want when they become adults. Until then, no religion. Let them go and study everything, see everything. That was the idea. And my, uh, uh, when I was taken to the school, uh, my father insisted that, uh, well, there is no religion for him and no caste for him. And uh, there is a column to be filled up. So the school said, no, it's not possible. There is a column which is to be filled up. So, father had to go to the education authorities, had to fight a small case at that time, and got it permitted. And I became the first child in Indian history entered in a school without caste or religion, not marked. Mm. And with that, it became a law. And now there are thousands of I mean students like that because it's 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 possible, and a lot of people hope that. And uh, still, I did not become a, a rationalist because of that. Uh, I remember, I mean, it happened when I was 14 or 15 years. I mean, uh, one of my neighbors, there was one girl, I mean, whom I never met. I mean, she was a neighbor, some five, six houses away or something like that. And she was a very famous uh, athlete in our state. She was the the sprint state champion, a very famous athlete. And she had a kind of blood cancer. probably her life would have been extended or I mean, she could have come out of it if there was blood transfusion. And the family simply said, no, it's not possible. And she herself also said it's not possible because uh, they believed in a a faith where blood transfusion was the biggest sin possible. And and they would not accept any kind of medicine also. Such, Such groups exist in India. That was a small Christian culture. And they started a prayer meeting every day to get her cured instead of taking the modern medicines available at that time. So it became a big news at that time. I mean, it was discussed in all the media, I mean, the print media only at that time. I mean, and the whole people in our state, I mean, got completely uh, curious about the whole thing. And people have been asking her parents to take her to hospital because her life is in danger. But she herself refused. And later she She agreed that she would go to hospital and the parents would not agree. And she simply dies. And this has shocked everybody. I mean, not only me, I mean, perhaps the the entire people of Kerala were shocked at the time. And for me, it was such a big shock because I could not believe that somebody could simply die because they believe uh, in very strange things which would simply refuse modern medicines. And... uh, that's the moment I, 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 I've written about that. That's the moment I decided that now, come on, I have to do something about this kind of, uh, I mean, belief structures, this kind of, uh, I mean, I mean dependence on, I mean, quackery or faith healing or things like that. So I went to the Rationalist Association's office and asked for membership.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: They said, you cannot become a member now because you are not 18 years old. I would get a membership only at the age of 18 and I was just 14 or 15. So I decided to start a small group of students, namely Rationalist Student Movement.
0: Nice. That's
3: how I joined. And at eighteen years I joined the Rationalist Association. At twenty-seven years I became the National General Secretary of It.
0: Well that's a great example to follow. And, oh, I'm not old enough to join the rationalist or the skeptic um communities of, of the this place. But yeah, you can you can do um um student community as well. Is there a, a, a reason why uh, skepticism is not mentioned per se? Um, or it's just a traditional thing that that um, it became more of a rationalist movement? What's the difference anyway?
3: I think most of these names come from traditions only. I mean, or, mm. or, or historical traditions. In In India, the word skeptic is not known to common people. People know only the word rationalism. But uh, what we do, for example, the rationalist movement uh, does everything that the skeptic movement does is taken up by the rationalist movement. But not only that. For example, what the free thought movement would do, for ex- fighting for secularism or separation of state and religion, that also is another part of the rationalist movement. Or for example, the humanist movement would do to create a kind of a alternative community, I mean, we are not very much on the community building, but uh, uh, the kind of social identities to be built up also is one of the responsibilities of the this movement. In fact, I personally always felt quite at home with all these names. I, if anybody asks me, are you a skeptic? I am a skeptic, absolutely. Whatever the whole skeptic movement is doing, I, exactly that's what I'm doing. So I would say that I am a skeptic. And if somebody asks me, if are you a free thinker? I fully share the the whole activities of the free thought movement. I stand for secularism, separation of state and religion, and I, I know the whole content of it. And if somebody asks me if I'm an atheist, yes, I mean, I do not believe in any of these gods which any any religions would show me, and that way I would like to call myself an atheist also. So I, I don't find, I mean, any kind of uh, special uh, love for one name or even, even for rationalism, I don't find so much attached to the the terminology. I would normally say that uh, all of us, the rationalists, the skeptics, the humanists, the free thinkers, the the secular secular humanists, we all are in the the larger one fence. We all are one side of a big fence. On the other side, we have a lot of unreason, absurdities, I mean, intolerance, human rights violations, all on the other side. I feel that we all are focusing One aspect of the work, Mm. some people focus on fighting on paranormal claims, some people fight on, uh, I mean, separation of state and religion. But deeper inside, everybody has the same. I mean, every free thinker would be a skeptic also, in my view. I mean, a skeptic would never accept a theocracy because he would stand for, I mean, common sense. So I, I would feel that beyond, I would try to see myself beyond all these nomenclatures. I mean, I'm not bothered about these names. I'm only bothered about the movements what we are collectively representing. That is That was one of the whole idea of the Rationalist Conference also, because we have been invading skeptics everywhere, we have invaded some of the atheists, we have invaded free thinkers, there have been humanist leaders, so we all sat together and discussed the common issues.
2: We have recently come across a Rationalist International Conference that took place in Tallinn, which was especially exciting for me because it is one of the Baltic states that I I came from. So I came from Latvia. This is um, uh, 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 in our neighbor country. And um, growing up, I've never heard of um, a skeptic or rationalist movement there. And when I left, I don't recall any activity in that. Uh, area at all so I was really excited when I saw um, that, that, that there is this conference and it was a really big conference as well uh, with lots of good speakers just like you said um, that happened in April. Uh, could you just tell us how the idea came about and how you decide? why did you decide to organize it specifically in Tallinn? Um, just a little bit about
3: it. Primarily what I was thinking you know once after moving to Europe uh, what I, I tried to do in uh, vis-à-vis India is i am now trying to delegate whatever i've been doing to the new generation of leadership that's something i always wanted because i was always afraid that if i go suddenly the big movement that i've built up would simply get simply shattered and finished that is something i don't want because i always build i mean believed that uh, there should be new leaders coming up in the movement so i have found new leaders in the whole in the movement and i'm training them and equipping them and I'm moving out from the scene. I'm still in absentia elected the president of Indian Rationalist Association two times now. But next year, I'm going to insist that I want the next generation to take it up. But on the other side, my presence in Europe and my experience uh, of all these years should be, um, in, in fact, I have a lot of contacts in the whole uh, I mean, rationalist, humanist, skeptic movement all around the world, since I've been traveling quite a lot and I mean giving lectures, I thought, I mean, there should be one place where everybody can come together and which belongs to everybody, which is not insisting on names, and we all because the the, the contemporary global situation is so challenging in my view. Because as we said, I mean Europe has changed quite a lot, but we have a lot of new threats. I mean, superstitions are coming in a very different way, even in Baltic countries, for example, where the majority of the people do not believe in any conventional religion. But if you go deep into the, in the, into the Baltic structures, you see a lot of uh, new belief structures are trying to come and, I mean, fill up this vacuum of, of uh, uh, whatever is lost. For example, astrology is coming back. I mean, a lot of uh, faith healing groups are coming. I mean, all, all these kind of I mean groups are trying to come and occupy the, the arena. So there should be an, 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 an very clear uh, I mean uh, effort to counter it. On the other side, the, uh, the, uh, intolerance is growing very well everywhere in the world. We see uh, I mean the, the new intolerance groups coming up uh, in uh, Arabia who are trying to extend to Europe. I mean, there, there is a, the tot, total atmosphere is so dangerous. A situation has emerged now, in my view, because all the fruits of enlightenment, all the fruits of science and technology development, all the fruits of uh, what we have gained with uh, uh, wisdom and common sense, all these years, are at a big threat now. Unless and until we all collectively sit together and think of common strategies to counter it, because the intellectual people who can influence situations, the writers, all these kind of people, they can really make a big change. So how can we exchange views together? How can we all come together on one platform? That was the idea. So then I thought originally the conference should be either in Stockholm or Helsinki. We discussed in the Board of the Rationalist International, and I proposed this idea that we go to Baltic countries, mainly because... That's a beautiful, I mean, very simply, one is the, the beauty of the place. For example, Estonia, I found dramatically beautiful. And and uh, I mean, it's a place which is not explored. So I thought people would like to come to a place which is exotic. But also, well, I mean, look at the whole belief structure. 83% of the people don't care for any organized religion in other Baltic countries also almost the same kind of situation, but all the same, we do not have a skeptic movement there, powerful. We don't. We do not have a free thought movement there, but it happens simply as a process. But if it's not guarded well, it can go away. So maybe I mean uh, the Baltic countries could be a, a fulcrum point. Uh, Because it's very important to see that, you know, the the biggest change that we have seen in Scandinavia and the Baltic countries. So that's where we have to stabilize our future work. That's what I felt. That's why this conference is not going to be a one-time event. We have decided that uh, the Rationalist International Conference is going to be an annual event now. Every year in April, we try to make a, a conference of all these skeptics and rationalists and all coming together at one place. This year, we had uh, 21 speakers from across the world, from Canada to Australia to Japan to to Sweden, Norway, Britain, I mean, India, everywhere we have been people coming. 24 countries were represented in this conference. This is something quite unique. I found it very encouraging. The, for example, the atheist leaders from Ireland or... or, or, or film producers from Britain, I mean, or humanists from um, Birmingham, uh, or, or the Humanist Association people from uh, Sweden, or the skeptic from Norway, all these people join together. The local skeptics, we have a small local skeptic group, they have been wonderfully cooperating. And even, there is, I mean, of course, there is a small skeptic organization in Latvia also now, they have a, a, an internet page also. I mean, I felt very happy that I didn't know about them. But they suddenly uh, reproduced our advertisement of the conference. And even from Latvia, there were two people coming from the conference.
2: Oh, fantastic. Hmm.
0: That's very good. And uh, for the future conferences going forward, are these going to be hosted uh, by the city of Tallinn
3: again? Yeah, we thought uh, 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 one place could be, I mean, at least for some years, one place could be, uh, I mean, quite good. Because that's easy for people to remember, yeah. easy for people to reach. Also, we are more familiar with the structures there. And uh, this Rationalist International Conference will be, this series of conference will be entirely. So next year, um, I mean, uh, in, uh, in April, we'll be having the next conference.
0: Whenever you have the exact date, yeah. uh, we're going to add that to our skeptical calendar, just as we did with um, this conference. I kind of like this idea especially that Estonia is is praised internationally for being a very forward-thinking country uh very highly developed technically and uh, in terms of uh, societal change and as you said that it can help help it to be guarded well for the uh, in the future
3: yeah but also we have some other plans. I mean, like, uh, another. I mean, another series of conference which we have been planning. I mean, this is something we have been trying to do in India earlier. Is a totally different one. We are going to call uh, an international, a world conference of writers and bloggers. Because bloggers are the, the new writers, I mean, who are facing big threat everywhere. Especially, if you know, I mean, in Bangladesh, we have now, last, two, day before yesterday, we had the the latest murder, bloggers are simply caught and simply butchered in streets there. Mm. And uh, anybody who criticizes the, the traditional belief system there is simply killed by people. And in India, of course, I mean, you know, uh, the uh, many rationalists are killed now. I mean, two of my, three of my very trusted colleagues have been shot dead, I mean, after I left India. So uh, the, the, the kind of uh, power that the writers and bloggers have have shaken many places and that they still they can they can make a big change in the whole structure so we are thinking of uh, uh, organizing an international conference of writers uh, i mean in in uh, coming september a conference it may not be a very big conference but we are trying to bring in some nobel laureates and all in the conference because the whole idea that we have is uh, that's something that we have, that we have been talking earlier because when the conventional religion goes, the mainstream religion goes, Uh, I mean, wherever it has gone, there are two dangers. A a small section of people would feel insecure. Because for religion, for many people, it's a safety belt, an imaginary safety belt, which they, I mean, try to hold. And they think that, I mean, that's protecting them. But, I mean, of course, uh, the, when they feel that the imaginary safety belt is not there, are some people, a very few, I mean, at least, I mean, a small number of people everywhere would feel so insecure. They would go into a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, new age belief system or even, uh, I would say, the the, the the pathological groups like the Pentecostals and all these kinds of faith healers and all these kind of things. These kind of influences are one danger. And the, another danger in many countries, that when the traditional faith is going down, some people feel so threatened that they feel they have to take weapons to protect their religion. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening in Bangladesh or in India. Because in mm-hmm. India, we have a huge challenge against the traditional belief system. So the people who, who feel that uh, they have to protect their gods and belief system, they take weapons and attack other people. So this is a, this is a very special situation. So therefore, we have to encourage the writers and encourage the bloggers, and we have to see that they are protected everywhere. And we have to use uh, the writing as a very, very powerful tool to reach out people. And the pen and the keyboard would make a big change, but not only. this, another part which we are seriously thinking is art and culture. Because like science and technology, like reasonable thinking, and like the critical faculties, uh, I mean, the, the faculty of critical thinking that we have been I mean, developing, the art and culture also has been contributing a lot to human progress, which has been hijacked by religions everywhere, especially in the last few centuries. I mean, art and culture have been totally hijacked by religion everywhere. But this originally belonged to the people. So we, I mean, make a plan to not to disown this art and culture because religion has hijacked it, rather uh, identify with art and culture and not only use our art and culture as a promotion material, but by itself, art and culture by itself as an enrichment of human life, as a fulfillment of human I mean exuberance has to be promoted. So three major aspects we are thinking generally to focus in the coming years. One is a, a common forum, for all those people on this side, side of the fence who are on the side of science and technology and human progress and tolerance. Then writers and bloggers, I mean, are joining together. And third, a, a, a new secular cultural heritage or cultural festival you have to build up. And these all are in discussion. The cultural festival can take one or two more years to materialize, but these are the three major plans that we have.
0: These are very nice and ambitious plans. Um, I think we all agree that we wish you a great success with that. And uh, if we can help you in any way, then you know where to find us.
2: You've been involved um, in lots of um, debunking and, and um, discussion of dubious topic claims um, that people are... Um, emotionally highly uh, invested in, um, the Guru Busters, um the Milk Miracle, the Great Tantra Challenge. Uh, when was the first time you realized you might be in danger for standing up for the rationalism? Uh,
3: the danger part, uh, that was there all, all the time, perhaps. I mean, because, you know, the, the superstition uh, industry, I would say that, or, or the the, the the blind belief empire in India is so big, and it it's it's billions of dollars worth of business in India. For example, there was a person, namely Satya Sai Baba, who claimed that he was the creator of the universe, an incarnation of uh, Vishnu, the one of the major Hindu gods. And how would he convince that he would move his hands five times or something like that to a crowd, and immediately some holy ash. The ash which Hindus would put on their forehead would appear in his fingers, and it would simply fall down. Looks like magic, his holy powers, and uh, with this small trick, he has convinced quite a large number of people. And uh, at one time, we had the president of India, the prime minister of India, the chief justice of Indian Supreme Court, the top businessmen—all were his disciples. When he died it was a national holiday and the prime minister of India and the ruling party's chief sat on his coffin and on the other side there was a lot of allegation against him i mean pedophile was seriously accused with a lot of people coming out uh, with the uh, the victims were coming out because their parents have been devotees of him and the children were abused by him so such cases were coming out, Telegraph in London made a weekend edition featuring such stories. India Today, the largest circulated uh, weekly in India, made a cover story. Pioneer newspaper made a front page story. Nothing happened. He was still very powerful. And he had his own aerodrome, his own uh, railway station, his own poster fees, and his own universities, super speciality hospitals, everything he had. And his annual budget was... More than I mean the the annual budget of the state where he lived. And when he died, under his bed in his private room, people found tons of gold bars kept. And in the shelves, I mean currency notes were bundled in gunny bags and kept. And the roof was made of gold. All unaccounted money. Such people have been very, very powerful in India. And imagine we have been fighting against these people. When this person come to a public place in New Delhi and produce holy ash for the devotees, I could appear on a television channel on the same time and say that he's a fraudster and a charlatan, and whatever he does, like producing holy ash or producing a necklace from the thin air, I could also do. And I, I would do the same thing, replicate the same thing and show it. So this was dangerous sometimes. You have been asking about the danger. After such a show, I found, for example, the brakes of my car. Car was cut. I mean, that's a classical way of killing people in India. Uh, mm. So, I mean, I made a press conference against this guy. I mean, it was very powerful. This Satish Sai Baba. The next day morning, when I took the car, I mean, I, I had a feeling that I mean, I had to be careful. I found that the 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 nuts of my right side front wheel were removed, and. Uh, The the break was cut. It was very clear. I mean, it was what was happening. Or uh, there were so many efforts like that. Once I've been exposing a guy named Balti Baba, who would claim that, I mean, he can sit in fire or or take fire in his hand. Simple trick with the, the, I mean, uh, mean, an insulated uh, vessel, which I have exposed openly in front of the media. He attacked me with the fire. He thrown fire on me. So such things happen many times. Or in the 2008, that was a still interesting case. I was on a live television program. I was, I've been in hundreds of television programs uh, every year. And on a live television program, where one of uh, the, our national ministers at that time, she claimed that she had a lot of problems, like her uncle died. She had a car accident, and she had some blisters of her leg, all because her political enemies were doing black magic on her. So the television channel decided to make a panel discussion on this topic. Imagine what's the panel discussion's topic? <laughs> and they invite me at one side, and call a powerful guru, a tantric, who has uh, magic words in his control on the other side. And the guru tells on the television, it's a live television program on a Friday evening. Lot of viewers, and not even edited. And he says that magic words has a power. The Tantra rituals have great influence. If I use certain magical words and do some rituals, that can simply produce certain vibrations and can kill people. It would work, he said. And it's such a you know, bad influence that that kind of a statement because he speaks with such an authority that he could simply kill with magic powers. People would be simply afraid. Already such beliefs are existing in this society. So, I thought there is no other way to counter him but to put myself uh, as a guinea pig in the whole game. I said, come on, you cannot do that. If you can do, you have to kill me right now with your magic words. Do it now or you are a forster. And uh, he first resisted. I mean, I was quite good at provoking him, I think. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I would have
2: done as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, he,
3: you know, he, he started chanting the magic words to kill me. He said, uh, you will faint first and then I would take you back. So now see, you are going to faint. And he, he perhaps he really believed it. And he started chanting the mantra or the magic words continuously for some time. And I was just laughing and making jokes at him. <laughs> and And the channel, the television channel, found it very interesting because the viewership was growing very fast. It looked like a, a real death happening on a television. <laughs> and, uh, so
0: people at home in front of the TV just uh, started, started asking uh, the others to, to come and watch it.
3: Yeah, uh, <laughs> it went on. You know, uh, after some time, you know, the, the question was, will they rationally survive this night? I mean, the, the guru is doing magic on him and all. And, and after half an hour, the guru simply said, uh, bring a knife. I, I mean I didn't lose my temper I mean i or, or my mood I, I said come on that's a conventional way of killing with a knife're <laughs> speaking about magical killing and after one hour he said it doesn't work uh, I think you are protected by some other goats
4: oh I said, yeah
3: <laughs> I mean I have I, I I may be protected by other goats with other magic I said I don't believe in these kind of things absolutely this is upset then he wanted the, the next stage of uh, test he wanted me to sit in the midnight from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock in front of a burial place where he would bring wood from the burial ground. And some people would chant mantras, and I would have the most painful that possible. Three minutes to get crazy, and another three minutes to get unconscious. And this next six minutes, I will have the humanly possible highest pain, and I would die. And if I'm ready, I said, I'm ready. And uh, it was fixed. That evening, and the channel, of course, they promoted it so well. And uh, 11 o'clock with the clock going down, and this test was done. You can see it on the internet, Tantra Challenge. abridged versions are available. Millions of people have seen it.
0: Yeah, that's quite, and, know, quite well known as the Great Tantra Challenge. Yeah.
3: Yes, yes. And, uh, of course, the guru got he's completely out of business. But uh, there, there have been effort after this to get me killed in a car accident or something like that, because it should work. He predicted that if I did not die that day, I would die next 21 days. And uh, there have been efforts on my, I mean, uh, I mean to, to get a car accident. So I, I practically kept off from all public appearance for next 21 days, so that there is no attack on me. So such things happened earlier also, but uh, the 2012 one was a little crucial.
0: There is one thing I don't understand about the the Great Tantra Challenge, for example.
3: Mm? That
0: how come the authorities didn't intervene? I mean, technically, that what happened on TV, that's also an attempt on your life.
3: Yeah, it was, in fact, uh, if it was a pre-decided program, perhaps this would have been stopped.
0: Ah, Okay. Okay.
3: This this was not a pre-decided program. It was coming spontaneously. Okay. It was a panel discussion. And yeah, it yeah. suddenly, it worked, and uh, it started. And it started that he's chanting mantra on me, and, I mean, he's uh, using his hand, and he, he always said that I would fade and he, I would take you back. That was the first time. And then, when it ultimately happening, there was no effort. That's, I was also thinking, why, why for example, the, the authorities uh, came and said that, come on, you cannot have such a test with life. But, uh, uh, I mean, there was... Uh, no effort from anybody's side, but I know other cases. For example, people are afraid to touch anything that is religion, especially politicians mm. and authorities.
2: How can this? Uh, how can this um, a misbalance? It's not really a balance. Can be shifted uh, into um, the area of critical thinking. What can be done? To, to shift that because obviously you're trying to you're, to do your best and, and set up this wonderful organization and I'm sure there's a lot of people who believe that it's just a lot of bullshit basically but how can that be
3: truly changed? It's, it's, you know, it's a long process I mean we have helped millions of people to perhaps they did not come out of religion but out of this fear of dangerous superstitions we have taken out a lot of people and uh, Sometimes I felt quite encouraged because I, I've been nominated as a resource person for the National Science Centre. And uh, in 2010 onwards, uh, I was invited to give a workshop as a National Science Centre with uh, selected students. So every year in summer vacation, I've been training 300 students, selected students, at the expense of Government of India, at, the, at in the building of the National Science Centre, training them, to explain all these magical claims and miracles and, I mean, paranormal claims and all these kind of things. So it was a two-week workshop for three sessions, 100 students each. But I took students only with one condition that they would go back and teach 10 more students, which means it would be 3,000 students, I mean, per year trained. So this was wonderful Mm. at one site. So this kind of support we got at one site or... uh, There was a a, a national science communication promotion structure. I was invited in universities and colleges everywhere to give lectures. Even during this time when I was officially hiding after the Mumbai miracle, I was giving at least seven university lectures supported by the government of India. That's the two sides of India, I said. At one side, there are laws to support us. And the Indian constitution says that one of the fundamental duties of all Indian citizens is to promote scientific temper critical inquiry, humanism, and spirit of reform. That's a fundamental duty of all Indian citizens. There is free speech and freedom of expression guaranteed. Everything is there. But when it comes to reality, the forces of religion are quite powerful. They are huge pairs. They are quite influential. So they, they have terrible grip on the whole situation. To come out of it, the only way is to bring scientific approach in in the curricula and, and, I mean, in the school curricula, as well as the the public education process that we initiated. Because we, our students study science, I mean, they become science professionals. They don't develop scientific approach. That's why, for example, India has been one of the largest or most uh, elaborate, uh, I mean, space research going on in our part of the world. But when we launch a satellite, the chief of the Indian Space Research Organization takes a replica of this uh, satellite to the local temple and make a special uh, ritual there and bring back, and they break a coconut that the elephant-faced goat protects uh, that there are no obstacles on between, and the astrologer has fixed the time of launching it. That's how we do it.
0: And yet you've you've always felt the need to challenge these bogus claims, which is great and very respectable. But this has gotten quite a bit of international coverage as well, right? Um, So, for example, in the 1990s, uh, there was a television series on Channel 4 in the UK uh, with the title, The Guru Bunkers. How did that come about?
3: Uh, That all happened because there was one, I've been explaining and exposing huge claims, I mean, at different stages. There was one guru who buried himself and claimed that he is meditating under earth for global peace. This was reported, I mean, I've gone and explained how he was doing it. I mean, there was a pipe going down and all these kind of things I've explained. And independent newspaper made a story about me after that, uh, telling about the dangerous, the 5,000 frenzied crowd, and I all alone go there and, expose this guru and completely debunk him and escape with my life. I mean, a car waiting for me outside and I just disappear in the crowd and escape from the dangerous scene. So this was a very dramatic scene and the independent newspaper made a one-page story, namely the Guru Buster. That was the uh, coverage first I got in Britain. And later, in 1995, we decided to reach out to people directly. So we thought we should reach 5 million people. That was the target. So small groups, we will be addressing unorganized uh, small groups. You'll be going in a small van. Some 20 people will be sitting in the van, all youngsters. And we took off from all work and studies and everything. And we went on road, really a road show. And uh, supported by local groups, we didn't have huge funds to do such a big show of 18 months. And uh, when we started, we have been getting something like two hundred people, three hundred people in all small meetings. Maybe five, ten meetings we would organize a day. But still, it's a thousand people we are talking per day. That was the original situation. But after a few days, we found that the newspapers have been responding to it everywhere. We are covered because this was very special because we are not just speaking. We just ask the people what are the local uh, miracles and local, I mean, beliefs. So somebody would say, then we our our guys are so trained so they would try to replicate it for example here is a guru who would look into the the heaven and then fire will come out of it straight away so such things we knew so we would make a small i mean plate and put uh, i mean some wood there and one of our guys would look into that and then fire would come so this it was simple chemistry because uh, the 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 wood was treated with the potassium permanganate and instead of uh, the purified butter we would be throwing in uh, glycerin so there was a chemical uh, action and it was it was how the gurus were doing so we replicated all these kind of things or producing holy ash from thin air or piercing on the cheek all these kind of things we replicated everywhere so huge audience we found that initially we had hundred 200 people later thousands of people were see. I mean coming to our meetings and during this trip uh, in between. This was reported in London Times, uh, Washington Post and all. And we get a very uh, encouraging letter from London at that time, Uh, Robert Eagle, the producer at at that time of BBC and Channel 4. And he writes to me, uh, I mean, asking permission to travel with us during this journey. So we have agreed. And he came with the whole crew and travel with us for several weeks. And he made a documentary named The Guru Busters in three episodes, and in Channel 4 first, and it was shown in 27 countries at the time. So still now it's, it's uh, celebrated as one of the uh, first major skeptic documentaries uh, I mean, of our times. Later, uh, Australian uh, national television also made a, another story in 2010. The same name Guru Baste, but the first was in 1995 by Robert Eagle. So you and your
0: team during the years exposed a huge number of gurus, fake healers, um, fake miracles, etc. But there is one in particular that actually changed your life. I'd like you to elaborate a bit on on, on how did that happen and what was the Mumbai miracle case that eventually led to you moving
3: to Europe. All such things we have been explaining systematically one by one because we have a wonderful team all around the country. So we could simply coordinate. We have a lot of scientists involved. Anything, for example, which we could not explain, we could talk to the experts, get the feedback, and we could talk to television, talk to media. It was very effective. In 2012, in uh, uh, a Mumbai church, that was in the first week of March in 2010. Uh, television reports and print uh, media reports started coming that uh, a statue of Jesus, a crucifix, there is uh, crying and the water is dripping through the feet. I mean, it's coming from the ice and I mean, it's dripping down on the feet. And the people are collecting this water and they it's distributed officially. And those who are taking this water are getting ailments cured. So that's the claim. So some people said that cancer patients have been cured. I mean, long ailments have been cured. And uh, I mean, the church authorities, the priest and other people have been officially telling on the television that uh, this is holy water. And like, like the water in Lourdes, it's magic and it's curing people. And... I was in a television, I mean, studio in Delhi, and this was happening in Mumbai, and I I told in the program very simply that, uh, I mean, it's common sense that no statue would produce water without a water source. Maybe there is some water trapped in because of rain or or, or leakage or something like that, or there could be an artificial pipe. I do not know what exactly, but the people involved there should verify it without claiming that it's a miracle because it's a dangerous tendency. This is what I said in the program. But uh, the the people who were representing the church on the other side, they insisted that it's a miracle. And they said that without me verifying it, uh, I should not claim that it's not a miracle. I said I'm very happy. I would be very happy to go and verify it if they permit. Because if in their premises, I don't want to enter their premises if they do not permit me. And if they have no objection, I would go and study Also, I have no guarantee that I would find the solution because I I don't have any magic to understand everything. If I do not understand, I would still insist that it's not a miracle, but something I cannot understand only. But I would certainly go. So then I've decided to go there, but not alone with the television crew. I've gone there on 10th of March. I remember the date very well. Uh, Morning, I reached and they did not allow me to go in first, asked me to wait for several hours. And suddenly they said, yes, now you can come in. So I went there. They found that some 300 people were in front of this uh, crucifix and the prayer meeting going on. So there are several sessions of prayer meeting going on. A thousand or two thousand people were visiting there every day. And this water collected, which was still dripping. uh, They would collect and they would simply give to people. So uh, I waited till the whole prayer was over. And after that, uh, of course, during the prayer, people have been standing on their knees, and I mean, the water was given, and uh, it was brought to me also. And people were given some drops of water in their hand, and they would lick it, lick it because it's going to cure them. So I said I would not take this water, but I collected a small sample of it. Uh, and I mean, of course, I had a friend with me immediately I sent it for chemical analysis. And later I went inside and I looked for the source of the water. And uh, then I found there was an algae behind, there was there's a small wall behind the, uh, the crucifix and there was algae, fresh algae growing on the backside of it. That immediately gave me an idea that there could be water inside this wall trapped and that's why there's a fresh algae. So the algae is going at one direction. So I followed the line of the algae and little wetness was there. And then it stopped at one place. I just opened that place and I found that it was completely dirty cloak water which was coming out there, stinking so heavily. So it was a broken pipe in the wall and the water was it was coming from the toilet drainage and it was coming through the wall, trapped there. And since there was a lot of Water presents there, and water could not go down because down was stones, and it went up through capillary action. Uh, uh, to capillary action, and was draining through the nail on the feet. I mean, it was very clear. I mean, for me, because I went and touched the top part of the feet nail. There was no water. It was not coming from the eyes, but from the nail only. And uh, I meantime, I got the chemical analysis report also. Found that its equally bacteria level is so high proving that it's drainage water. And in the evening television program, I explained this. I mean, in a very popular television program. Of course, I was not alone. The church sent its representatives also to explain their position. Four people from the church and me alone. And they got completely furious and angry because the moment I proved that it was drainage water, toilet water, I mean, it means the miracle is over with that thing. So the bishop telephones the television studio to stop the program. The channel refused to stop it, rather asked the bishop to join the discussion. The bishop, the Mumbai bishop joins in the discussion. And we had a very interesting discussion over the television for next one hour. And uh, well, I mean, the discussion was completely in my favor because uh, uh, though they were all angry and I was laughing, I could simply explain and answer and I am quite well aware about the claims of the church than most of these bishops and the debate went in my favor and the bishop was so angry uh, i think when, with one comment i mean he became very angry at one stage he said you speak about science and technology and the whole science in europe has been developed by the promotion of catholic church is what he said in the television program i could not stop laughing i made a, a sarcastic comment i said you believe in exorcism your pops have been involved in exorcism so in exorcism what you do basically you believe that you are invoking spirits so why don't you invoke the spirits of uh, two people to vouch your claim or answer your claim that would be Galileo Galilei and Leonardo Bruno and and uh, the, the the humor did not go into his head and he was so furious and angry and he shouted that we don't do exorcism. I immediately brought evidences from my tap showing that the, the the pope himself was in, in exorcism. And he walked off the program. And the whole uh, program was so effective. They found that uh, the, the, the miracle is over with, with my explanation. When I came out of the studio, the, the these television people said that i cannot go out because the the church has brought already some 100 people with sticks to attack me they are waiting outside so when i wanted, when i come out they would simply attack me so i could not go out of the studio i remained there in the studio for 4 hours and later they opened the back gate and uh, i i had to take my car through that and then came the next day they found the most interesting thing nobody came to see the miracle. Because nobody anymore wanted the toilet water, so a thousand people every day visiting, which means seven thousand people on an average every week, simply stopped. Means the whole prospects that they have been building up, they have been applying for a miracle status from Vatican. Everything is over. It's simply finished. They got so furious and angry because it's not only a, a, a shame, but also economic prospects have been damaged by me. So they filed. 27 cases against me under the old blasphemy law, which is not properly used in India by anybody earlier, uh, where this law is so primitive. 1860 Indian Penal Code is, uh, I mean, having this law, I mean, which says that anybody who is accused of this charge, and how can we accuse anyone claiming that his religious sentiments are hurt by someone's malicious intention? If anybody claims that he can go and file a complaint in a police station, the police officer has full right to accept or reject. And if he accepts, he can arrest the person without an arrest warrant, it's cognizable, he can be kept in prison, and there is no bail available. And uh, I thought such a law would not work in India, such laws are not used in India. But at three police stations, they could convince, and they have registered the case. So still they could not come and arrest me in Delhi because this is another state. But then I was told that assassins are paid to kill me. And the television, I mean, the internet forums were discussing uh, if I'm arrested for at least one night, how the co prisoner should kill me and how they are going to finance in All these kind of things were discussed. Or if I go to a court of uh, law to get a bail, I should be attacked by the truthful believers and they'll be rewarded with heaven. All these kind of things were coming out. So when situations were not very comfortable, and uh, a situation emerged that uh, any day I could be killed. The senior police officers in Delhi suggested me to be away from public eye because I can be attacked any moment. So still I went in hiding. I went into the university where once I was researching for my PhD, as and uh, I mean, remained in a student hostel with the support of all students. And still I appeared on television programs and gave interviews and spoke about this case, but. Uh, later situation came that I mean, it became very, very difficult for me. So it was at that time I was traveling to Europe for a lecture tour. And uh, thereafter, I could not go back. And when I tried to go back in 2013, one of my strong supporters and colleagues, uh, our Maharashtra rationalist leader, Narendra Dabolkar, who was planning my return. And I mean, he was trying to make a protection plan for me. He was shot that point blank by somebody in the morning still now nobody is arrested some months later another famous rationalist was arrested vansade as was killed showed that again on a morning walk and last year one of our strongest i mean leaders in in uh, uh, karnataka state dr kalburgi i mean a very famous rationalist was a vice chancellor of a university national academy award winning Right, we have a lot of very prominent celebrities in our organizations. He was one amongst them. Somebody comes his home and simply once he opens the door, point blank, shot him dead. So I lost three of my trusted people, trusted colleagues, in the last two and a few years. Simply somebody come and kill them point blank. So I don't want to be the fourth picture in the list. Yeah, I think. I mean, I have only one life, and this life. uh, I mean, I. I, I don't, I don't care to die. I mean, I don't. I'm not afraid of death because, I mean, you cannot die two times. And I've faced a lot of things very courageously in my life. But uh, yeah, I have to do things. I mean, I don't want to just become a martyr and become a picture somewhere. Rather, I would like to do things. Oh, we're all very happy that you made that wise choice.
0: And I also do hope that um, by now you feel quite at home in Europe.
3: I have a general feeling that. Uh, Europe is welcoming me. That's this so far the feedback I have, and I've been invited uh, in so many places. I've I've given something like hundred two or hundred three lectures in last uh, I mean few years. I mean after moving to Europe, traveling all across. I mean I've I've been in Spain, in Britain, in Norway, in Sweden, Germany. I mean everywhere I've been traveling and giving lectures in the United States. So I take forward what I've been doing all these years. I don't stop and I think it's not very easy to stop me but by death. I'm, I'm absolutely indefatigable. That's my feeling.
0: Where can people um, hear you talk next time um, or catch you, um, hopefully without um, any harmful intentions? And what new plans do you have for the
3: future? Uh, we have uh, about the rationalist conference coming up. There is a website namely rationalistconference.co that will announce all the details. And uh, we have a YouTube channel uh, for Rationalist International, but which has only very few uh, videos now, but we are starting a, a, a series of webcasting there. All the speeches in the Rationalist International Conference are being edited now. So all the 21 major speeches in the conference will be uploaded one by one. So all these kind of things will be available online. But I can be reached anytime over, I mean, internet or phone or, I mean, other ways. I mean, I'm, I'm reachable.
0: And I think this very interview is the greatest example of that being really so. And I definitely hope that we can meet you somewhere um at one of the conferences or talks that you're giving um at some point.
2: And I'm I'm definitely going to be planning on attending the next uh conference in Tallinn next year for oh, sure. Good
3: to know. But I'm, I'm, this is a wonderful yeah. job that you're doing. I mean such a podcast reaching out to people every week is an enormously I mean a big job. I mean I mean <laughs> organizing such a thing, I mean Uh, I I can imagine what what it means. And uh, congratulations for this good work.
2: Well, thank you so much for your time too. Um, We appreciate it a lot.
3: Thank you. That's very kind of you. And
0: I'd like to thank you for your time as well. But I'm afraid this is all what we could uh, squeeze into this episode. So, Sanal, Damaruku, thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye.
2: Goodbye. Bye -bye. Bye. Yeah, it's pretty. Like, uh, I'm thinking about it. Like, and of course we we hear and you know these um, murders in Bangladesh now almost every week.
4: Yeah,
2: it's completely fucked up and heartbreaking. But we'll never understand it because we we live in such privileged countries, and we're so so lucky to be born into this society where absolutely it's just uh, terrible. But uh, see, you know, people like Sanal just hopefully will tip the scale to the right side hopefully if it's not too late and it's very
0: important to have uh, examples like his Mm -hmm. Uh, and he made a great choice in in coming to Europe instead of staying there and waiting for his death
2: I think he didn't really have Uh, a choice you're right you know it was either you you being shot to death and that's it that's the end of your life and and you
0: he could have thought that okay I could be a martyr but it, it wouldn't have made sense. No, it... because he's got
2: so much more to give and, and um, yeah. to yeah. do. So, And he does. He really does. You know, when I said that Randy has done this amazing thing of um, investigating uh, claims of quackery and, and, and uh, various superstitious claims and he called people up uh, on their um, beliefs and mm-hmm. his, he's got his million dollar challenge and he's done and these are all great great things that randy done um that um, i admire a lot um and they did a lot of good but but nevertheless sanal he did exactly same things in a different country with different conditions where everything he did was basically punishable by death that's that's like Mm. unbelievable courage it takes so much courage and um when we spoke to him during the interview, he, he said he's not he's not afraid of dying. He's completely, you know, rational about it. Um, but he just wants to keep doing a good work. He, he, he does. And uh, I really yeah. admire him for that. It, it's unbelievable. I'm
0: afraid this was um, everything we had time for on this episode. I hope you'll join us again next week. I will. And I will. I promise. So oh, will great. I. Oh, Looking forward. Thank you very much, Ilana. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. Talk to you again next week. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely, no doubt. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: -bye. Bye -bye. Bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time. was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Rabb and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Awesome. You are listening to oh, the ESP.
2: <laughs> Here he comes again.
0: Uh, yeah,
1: I
2: think, I think, I think, in Andres' head, he will never be like he, this. Joke will never get tired.
0: No, oh no. No. But you will.
2: But we will. Yeah, we that's will. Yeah. Very true,
0: yeah. That's very true, Andres. That's very true. Andras Pinter, and joining me for fucking. <laughs> After English,
1: um. <laughs> <laughs> after English, nothing.
0: Spanish yeah, is sorry. is is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> uh. hmm? We cannot finish the sentence. The, the light, the light is there again. So they are coming for me.
2: Be prepared, Anders. Wow. <laughs> That's fantastic.
0: Okay. <laughs> Come on guys, I'm here. Uh. Join us again next time? We will do. And <laughs> you not talking. <laughs> <for us. laughs> Fuck it.